Well, welcome back, everyone, to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Assistant Sports Editor Mark Faulkner with beat reporter Ted Colfin. Tonight, we're back at Little Caesars Arena before Monday's game against the Flyers. We're up here in the rafters where you can see all the retired numbers, including Terry Sawchuk's retired number, number one. And in a few minutes, we'll hear from the actor who played Terry Sawchuk in the movie Goalie, which opened this weekend at 10 theaters in Metro Detroit. But first, Ted, the 2020 Red Wings, and you have news today on Anthony Mantha, who said he could be back in a couple weeks. Yeah, he looked like he was fairly confident that he was. It's, it's a mild surprise, given that a few weeks ago, there was maybe speculation that he might miss the rest of the season. So, obviously, I mean, that'd be a big plus, Mark, for the lineup. I mean, he was, he was having a really good year. But back-to-back injuries definitely felled him. Uh, he seemed confident. He seemed in a good frame of mind. Uh, they're getting back Andreas Anthony to see you this evening. But given the way the season has gone, obviously, gives, you get something, you lose something. They're losing Philip Sedina now for a couple weeks. Just been that type of season. But with Mantha on the horizon and Anthony see you back tonight at least they're going to they're possibly having a semblance of an attack here you know Ted Mantha did say he thought the play by Jake Muzzin was a dirty play no suspension and Mantha also talked about fighting the Wings have had only seven fights this year a couple by Hironic a couple by Giovanni Smith again how did you see the play was he as prepared he's big and strong and sometimes I don't know if he felt like he was ready for that, but for what happened with Muzzin. No, that's a good point, Mark. I don't think he was. Yeah, I mean, I thought I didn't think it was a dirty play by. It wasn't a dirty play on my part. On my part, but um, I mean, you gotta, you gotta respect Anthony's opinion, obviously. And like he said, he was on the recipient side, so he's gonna be feeling a lot worse. Interesting though that he said he's not gonna back down. I mean, he's gonna continue to if he sees a teammate is being taken advantage of, he's gonna. He's going to step up and do something, which you have to respect him for, obviously. But I know Jeff Blaschel has said on a couple of occasions now he'd like to see him be a little bit more judicious, and I can understand that. Let's face it, it's three times now. It's amazing that three times he's gotten into altercations in that type of scenario and gotten hurt each time. So, And that's a guy the Red Wings just cannot afford to lose for lengths of peri- periods of time. You also talked to Athanasiu, who's back after 13 games. Lots of trade speculation before the NHL trade deadline on February 24th. Today, our friend Jim Matheson from the Edmonton Journal talked about a possible trade, a long shot with the Oilers and Ken Holland. Jesse Pugliarvi is playing over in Finland. He's only 21, the fourth overall pick a few years ago. Matheson feels if Steve Eisenman wanted to make the trade, Athanasiu for Pugliarvi, that Holland would have to throw in a draft pick, probably a fourth or fifth round pick. I don't know if that trade's going to yeah, happen. I, don't, I know, Mark. I don't see that happening. I just might. I don't think that'd be enough on, on my on first glance. I mean, Pugliarvi, I think he pretty much washed out the first year or two he was here. Uh, went back to Finland. Athanasiu, for all his, I mean, it hasn't been a good season at all, obviously. But he did score 30 goals last year. He's shown the potential to be a. I think he came close to 20 a couple other times. I mean, this guy has shown he can score in the NHL. The, the things I have heard is maybe you can get a first or second round draft pick, which I think would be 
a lot more amenable to Steve Eiserman than Pugliarvi in a fourth-round draft pick. And Ted, on the weekend, Valtteri Filippola reached that milestone, a thousand games. I'm just wondering, though, about what it's been like working with Filippola over the years. He's certainly the consummate pro, a big right. part of the community. What's it been like following his career? No, definitely, Mark. That's a good way of putting it. Just a consummate pro. He really is. I mean, not a guy that's going to grab a lot of headlines, but boy, today's day and age to play 1,000, to get to get to 1,000 games in the NHL, what an achievement. I mean, so much competition for jobs. This league's getting speedier and faster every day, every month, every year. This guy, I mean, he does it with his brains. He does it with his savvy. And good for him. I don't, I don't think he's quite done yet. I think he's obviously signed through next year. I think he might be a year. I think he could play another year after that, possibly. So, I mean, bully for him. I mean, what a career. Great, uh, great achievement in today's NHL. Okay, time for the uh, interview segment of the podcast. Here's 35-year-old Canadian actor Mark O'Brien, who was in the Scarlett Johansson, Adam Driver movie, Marriage Story. That movie was nominated for six Academy Awards. You may have seen Mark O'Brien in the movie Ready or Not in Showtime, City on a Hill. We're joined now by Mark O'Brien, the actor who plays the Red Wings goalie that Gordie Howe called the greatest goalie he ever saw, Terry Sawchuk. The movie is called Goalie. It tells the story of the trials and tribulations, the career of the Hall of Fame goalie who won three Stanley Cups here in Detroit in the 1950s. It opened here on the weekend and continues through the week at the Imagine Theaters in Novi, Birmingham, Saline, Rochester Hills, Royal Oak, Canton, Birch, Run, and Macomb. The movie will be out on DVD later this month on February the 25th. Mark, welcome to the podcast. And first question, why Terry Sawchuk? And why did you choose this script as a filmmaker, as the executive producer, and also as the lead actor? It's like you said, I, he's known as the greatest goalie of all time. That's certainly how I grew up knowing about him. I'm from Canada, and, uh, you know, it always was Terry Sawchuk. I mean, I never heard any other name as being the best. You know, you hear mm -hmm. Ken Dryden, and you hear Jacques Plante, you hear all these names, but it was always like, well, Sawchuk was the best. And also, and I just thought that that's, that certainly warranted having a film about him, considering also that his life was, was pretty interesting and um, and kind of singular. You know, he died at a young age, and, and he was such a competitor, and and his career was so up and down and, you know, he faced so many um, physical challenges and stuff. So I just mm -hmm. thought that, that that made for a great movie. And, and as a hockey fan, it was it was such a, a unique thing to get to play someone like that. So I, I was quite excited. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. On the ice, off the ice. Let's start with on the ice, Mark. Sawchuk was probably famous, like you said, for his overall goaltending. 103 career shutouts, which lasted for 46 years until – Martin Brodeur broke that record in 2009. And I was looking at his record, Mark, and Sawchuk might have had the best five seasons to start a career from the early 1950s. He had three Stanley Cups, 1952, 54, and 55 was the last cup before Steve Eiserman led the Wings to the Cup 42 years later in 1997. Sawchuk won three Vesna trophies, the Calder Trophy, five-time All-Star, you played him in the movie, Mark, and you were hunched over in the movie. It says, stay low, stay forward, his style. What was it like trying to get a sense of how he played the goal? There was no mass back then, 400 stitches in the face. What was that like? Well, I think it was it was just kind of eye-opening to think that's what someone would risk every single time he goes to work. 
Yeah. And, you know, back then they weren't making the money that they make today and there wasn't a union and all that kind of stuff. So just just the amount of risk that he put forward, it was just completely fearless. And that's why, you know, he was who's famous for his stance was the crouch. And just because he wasn't scared of getting hit by the puck in his face, he didn't care. <laughs> you know, if you if you were lower into that, that crouch that he did, your head is basically right in the middle of the net, which is, you know, where most bucks are probably going to end up. So he just he was just completely fearless. And I just found that amazing. I, you know, because as a hockey player myself, I mean, I grew up playing and I, you know, I always played with a cage and stuff like that. And even when I didn't have a cage on, I felt kind of naked out there Sure. and you feel pretty vulnerable. So I, I can't imagine what it was like even, well, I can, I guess, because, you know, we did a lot of on ice stuff and it's just wild uh, that the fearlessness of it. And then also combined with the fact of playing through pain, like playing through immense pain, playing through broken toes that he never even told anyone about for a whole season, like stuff like that. You're like, whoa, that's like a real man um, <laughs> of of sport. Yeah. Like you, that you kind of can't really compare to anything. What was his style like as best as you could tell? He was listed at 5'10", 5'11", as little as 170 pounds, as much as 215, 220. When Jack Adams, the GM, said you need to lose some weight. But could you tell – what kind of goaltender he was. You talked a bit about his uh, competitive nature and certainly he was acrobatic, but he was probably a little bit bigger than most goalies at the time and on a pretty good team. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, they, they certainly were a good team. Like, you know what I mean? Those were the Gordie Howe years and stuff like that, but they also, um, but the kind of goalie was, I, I think he was just really good at tracking the puck. I, I think mm -hmm. that's a huge part of it. And, and you, it goes back to the fearlessness I already talked about because if you inherently are not worried about getting hit anywhere, then then that also just instinctively changes the way you'd play in net. Um, but I, I think he was he was very quick. He was extremely quick, but he also just tracked the puck very very well. That's kind of what I get from I got from watching uh, tape of him. And he also was like one of those players, almost like like Brodeur. You mentioned like he's just a winner. Like yeah. even if he let in four goals, he was going to do everything he could to win that game. Like there was just no quit. And and I love that in a player when, you know, I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan. So I like, you know, you look at Brendan Gallagher and you're like, this guy just never stops. <laughs> and, and I, I, I really admire that. There's just uh you know, you're going to have to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I'm going to stop. And, and, you know, and he, and he did die at an early age and just giving it all he had. So I, I, I just think he was, he was really a quick goalie who tracked the puck. Well, were the major assets I saw. Also on the ice, uh, Sachuk played 14 of his 21 years here in Detroit. And Detroit plays a big role in his life and partly in the movie as well. He met his wife, Pat, here. They lived in Union Lake. He played at the Old Olympia on Grand River and McGraw. There's a lot of dressing room scenes behind the closed doors. But I'm wondering what you – I'm wondering about the kind of pressure he might have felt being in a city like Detroit back then, Mark – the population here in Detroit was 1.8 million people. It was the fourth largest city in the country. The auto industry was in high gear. The Wings had that production line of how Lindsay and Abel. And to be an athlete, to be recognized, there's one scene in the movie where Terry walks by a storefront and sees a pair of fancy shoes. He walks in and doesn't have any money, like you said. They didn't have a lot of money, and the store owners uh, knew who he was, and but I'm just wondering what it was like to be here in Detroit at that time. There are scenes even of the old Olympia in your movie. Yeah, I, I think it, it it was certainly daunting. I mean, he was 2021 20, and he just came from Winnipeg. And it was so different than today where, 
you know, we have so many facts and figures and, and stats at our at our fingertips, and we also have footage, and we have you know all kinds of technology now to kind of rank players and analyze players and and video analysis of players like that is it's it's really intense and it's really kind of all consuming whereas back then no one knows who terry was when he showed up in detroit like <laughs> it's it, you know all they knew was probably like jack adams called up this kid from winnipeg you know after lumley got hurt and so it's it, it, it's it's a totally different thing you come in in a way it's probably a bit it was probably a bit refreshing Mm-hmm. compared to today only in hindsight in the fact that no one knew there was no hype you just kind of came in and if you were good you were good and, and you just kept playing but i think it was just probably really lonely um you know kind of like players when they go off to junior at like 14 years old like it's probably pretty scary and, and uncertain and you don't know what your future is going to be and i think for for him it was probably a bit of that like i'm going from winnipeg to this to this massive city yeah. with this storied franchise and if I make it, I am the guy. I think that's kind of the thing. It's, it's once again, a little bit different than today. Like, you know, goalies get groomed. It's like, okay, play a few games, and we'll send him back down to the A, and he'll play down here. And then I'll oh, bring him up and get him a couple more games. And then like, you see in training camp how he does. Like, it, back then there were no backup goalies. So if you just kept winning and kept playing well, you just kept playing. So I think that's the pressure. And there's only six teams, so there's only six goalies. So I think the pressure was like, this is his moment. And and he took it and he ran with it. You talked about the pressure and the intensity. Um, I was talking to Jerry Green, our longtime Detroit News reporter. He's at the Super Bowl right now, Mark. He's 91, and he's the only reporter to have, to have been at all 54 games. And on Friday night, I said, Jerry, what do you remember about Sawcheck? And Jerry remembers back in about 1954-55, Jerry bought a ticket to his first event in Detroit. And wouldn't you know it, Terry Sawchuk, at the end of the game, they lost one nothing to the Leafs. And Sawchuk heard some heckling fans and like a scene in your movie, Sawchuk tried to go over the, 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 the mesh. The, um, yeah, back then there was like that netting. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then Ted, and then Ted Lindsay apparently, according to Jerry Green, also got involved. So Jerry said that he remembers later reporting on Terry Sawcheck that Terry was always moving around, jittery, and yeah. Well, you know, I think he was such a competitor, so he hated letting in any goal. And I know, like most goalies, no goalies like to let in a goal, but <laughs> it really tore him up inside. So I think someone yelling at him—it's for him. From what I, I kind of surmise is that it's just reminding him of of his play and if he wasn't playing well it just made him irate and i and i just think it was that competitive spirit you know that that you don't you don't quite see that a whole lot today it's a bit more contained everyone's kind of chill i mean you know i'm saying this after uh we saw a goalie fight last night in the NHL <laughs> yeah, exactly. with mike smith and yeah but it's but at the same time it was um you don't see people jumping into the stands so i think um I think it was just how much he hated letting in a goal. And I, as a fan, I, I love that in a player when you're like someone who hates losing, um, someone who really cares and they're going to fight to the bitter end. Um, like, you know, it's kind of like the guys who like block a shot with 30 seconds left in a 4 nothing game. Like it might be deemed not <laughs> smart, but it's also pretty impressive. You mentioned Jack Adams earlier, uh, played by award-winning actor Kevin Pollack. And, there was a bit of an interesting relationship there, the way you guys per- portrayed that in the movie, that Jack was almost like a father figure to, to Terry, who came here, like you said, as a, as a very young player from Winnipeg. 
And at some point, Terry almost felt like he was a son, but then he almost felt betrayed because as much as Terry Sawchuk replaced Harry Lumley, Terry Sawchuk was replaced by Glenn Hall. So can you talk a bit about that dichotomy or what that relationship was like between the owner, or at least the general manager, Jack Trader Adams, and Terry Sawchuk? Well, it was it was certainly uh, a very um, complicated relationship because this was a time when people weren't traded as much. You know, players weren't always look at Ted Lindsay, look at Gordy Howe, like they weren't tra- Alex Del Vecchio, like they weren't traded as often. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, Trader Jack today, he wouldn't be called that at all. He'd be called Conservative Jack probably, <laughs> um, because players get traded more often now. Well, more it's free agency, but you know, certainly in the '90s, early 2000s, everyone was getting traded all the time. So I think back then it was just a rare thing, especially to trade a really great player. I mean, like you said, his first five seasons, he had goals against average under two every season. Like, that's unheard of. So it is a bit bizarre that he got traded. And I think it was that that shock that probably um, just completely damaged that relationship, like, so terribly because – you you're 20 21 years old you show up and 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 you're lauded as a great goalie and you are and you're winning Vesnas and stuff and, and you're winning cups and then all of a sudden you're gone you're like what so it becomes personal all of a sudden you know what i mean if if all of a sudden you have a season where you have a 4.0 goals against average maybe you understand why you're traded so i think it was just we felt maybe a little personal and um i and i'm being i'm being presumptuous here but i i think that that had something to do with it and then of course he came back to play with the Red Wings, but the relationship was 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 really damaged uh, initially from that. And and you got to understand, like, well, you do understand, but like people have said, it's sports are different than other jobs. It's not like you punch in thirty years or whatever. It really is. Look at how many coaches they're like, oh, here's the longest serving coach right now, and he has he's only he's been like four years. <laughs> like, there's so much of that in sports. So I think when you're young. And the league was still kind of new then, really. Um, I think that you don't really think about getting traded. Whereas players today, it's, you know, you, you plan when you're going to be an unrestricted free agent. You actually plan leaving the team. And the general managers plan you'll probably leave. So that was a, a completely new idea back then, especially for a 20-year-old. Now, off the ice, you also tell the story about Terry Sawchuk battling depression and alcoholism. Uh, your wife in the movie, your real wife, Georgina Riley, said was kind of sad that he didn't get the help he needed now of course he would but can you imagine what it was like to fight those demons those problems without the help of the things we know now about mental illness one in five people have mental illness he would have he would have received help now but back then he seemed like he was alone i can see why your wife said it was it's it's a bit of a sad tale yeah it is because especially you know athletes are looked at as being quote unquote men, you know what I mean? Like these Mm -hmm. strong men and, but they're humans and they're people and they're doing something that's very difficult and physically demanding every single day. So that's going to take a toll psychologically at some point it is. And some people are equipped to deal with it and some people aren't, but back then it wasn't, it wasn't okay to really talk about it. And, and of course I think Terry's whole drive was, I need to play. I need to be the guy and I need to be the goalie. I can't lose my job. I can't lose my passion. And, and if, and if he spoke about how he felt, I think he probably would have felt like he was in danger of losing that. And also, I, I honestly, once again, uh, you know, I played him. Uh, I, don't, I didn't know him, so I don't want to talk out of turn too much. But I feel like he probably wasn't fully even aware of exactly how he felt. I always 
looked at him as someone who wasn't articulating his feelings because mm-hmm. it wasn't something that was articulated in society that often. It's certainly not in his profession. So therefore, it wasn't something that was really on on the surface that you can access so so well as today. Um, so I think that, that confusion is even worse because he doesn't even know what's going on. He doesn't even know why he's frustrated. He doesn't even know these things because he's never been educated on it. And I think that that's, that's the tragedy, tragedy yeah. that I see. Yeah, you know, that's a word too, uh, Mark. I wasn't sure whether or not to use for our headline on the podcast, Terry Sawchuk, actor tells tragic story, poignant story of Red Wings' greatest goalie. I looked up tragedy, a play dealing with tragic events, which, of course, this would qualify, and having an unhappy ending, especially one concerning the downfall of the main character. Terry Sawchuk died at age 40. So tragedy, do you consider it a tragedy? I only do because of he only lives till be 40. I, I think that that's tragic. That's a very young age to, to die. I think, I think he, it's, he's, he should be celebrated, and he is. And right. I, I think it's rightfully so because, I mean, his career is, is really up there in all professional sports. It's, it's one of the most – and I guarantee if there was a list of most impressive – like North American sports, let's just say to – you know, I'm not going to get into every sport in the entire world. But if in North American sports, I mean, he's in the top ten of most impressive – um, uh, careers for sure, for sure. So, I mean, that's something to be celebrated. I think it's just his tragic demise at such a, a young age is, is what makes it tragic to me. He had kids who love him. I got to know his son, Jerry, very well. And Jerry's a wonderful guy, loved his father. Pat still really thought a lot of, of Terry and still like, you know, the family will take part in, in, in sort of honors for him and stuff. And, and they loved him. He, he was, they loved him for who he was, and they, they. I think they came to understand him. And so it's it's just tragic that he wasn't around longer. Um, to me, that's what hurts the most. Yes, he fought demons, but he still fought through them and still had a family loved him and still succeeded. So I see a lot of uh, positivity in it as well. Mark, are there any other final thoughts that you'd like to make about Terry Sawchuk and what Red Wing fans um, should know? You've described a bit about his style, his success, some of the problems he faced. When fans go to Little Caesars Arena, they'll see his number one up in the, uh, up in the rafters. You watched a lot of video. You, 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 played, you played Terry Sawchuk. Um, you were able to relive his career. I just wonder if there's any other thoughts that you have that, that Red Wing fans should know about, uh, about, as Gordie Howe said, the greatest goalie that Gordie ever saw. Well, I think that's a good question. I think it's, first of all, I know like Detroit fans are, are very passionate for sure. And, and I'm, and I'm sure every Detroit hockey fan, you know, reveres Terrence and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing to remember, and I'm a, a massive hockey fan myself. So I think, and I'm a huge film fan. I'm and like, you know, I'm a fan of all these things. When you see someone who you revere, you remember they were a person just like us. They were a person who was trying to live and trying to do something that the best they could. And what I think is interesting about the movie is that the movie's not, it's not the, a, a journey towards game seven. And that's the last scene of the movie. It's not about that. It's about how the career just continues and it's almost infinite. It just kind of keeps going for them. And, and all, all players are like that, you know, in the off season, it's like, okay, what are we going to do next year? Like it's always continuing and building and, and you just want to keep getting better and succeeding. And I think he was, more than an athlete, he was a, a man who was just trying to enjoy enjoy what he loved and see what he loved and and thrive. And I think, you know, sometimes when like 
watching someone who we admire and they don't do a good job, we, we kind of get angry with them. It's like, but they're just someone who's trying their best. And he was always trying his best. And I think that that's something to take home. And, and especially right now with, you know, you see what happened with Kobe Bryant, like we're, we're all human, mm-hmm. you know, we're not, they're not superhumans. So only expect of them what you can on a human level. And I think, um, I think that's what's, that's what's interesting about the film. Mark, thanks for your time today, for being on the podcast. And uh, that was Mark O'Brien, who plays Terry Sawchuk in the movie Goalie, now playing in 10 theaters here in Metro Detroit. Ted, looking forward to the uh, Red Wings schedule this week. You'll be in Buffalo on Thursday and in Columbus on Friday. What's interesting about the Sabres, and we can talk a bit about this, the Sabres have gone eight years without making the playoffs. Last year, Carolina, they missed the playoffs for nine years. Arizona's at seven. The Wings are at three and will miss the playoffs this year for the fourth straight time. They're 35 points out of the playoffs right now. But my question to you is, the Red Wings' longest playoff drought was seven years from 1969-70 to 1977-78. Next year, the Wings will probably have Lafreniere, Stutzel, Byfield, Askarov, or Drysdale. They probably won't make the playoffs next year. That'll be five years. So just conjecture. That's seven years. That could. That well, Mark, could they're be definitely going to be. Oh, Mark, they'll definitely be in the neighborhood. I mean, there's nobody that I've talked to around the league and casually that thinks this team's two, three years. I mean, they're. It's minimum of three years. So. That's an interesting, that is an interesting stat. It just goes to show you, once you're in that re- throes of a rebuild, it is not easy to get out of. I mean, you're essentially, I mean, you're seeing it with the Tigers these days too. I mean, you have to revamp the entire roster and then have get players good enough to make the playoffs. So it's not an easy hill to climb at all. Uh, no, that's an interesting stat. And I will say right now, as we sit here tonight, Boy, they're, they're going to become awfully close, in my opinion, to that seven years. They're going to, it's going to be difficult for them to get back in the next couple of years, especially with younger, I mean, Tampa and Florida are both young teams still, essentially, and they're, they're going to be competitive. Toronto's going to be competitive for a couple of years. Um, Boston has a decent base to build from. This division is extremely difficult, so I don't see them making too many inroads. I remember earlier this year, Ted, you said the Wings might have only three or four players moving forward that they might need another 16 players. So it's so difficult to make the playoffs. The Oilers once in 13 years. And again, a good team like Carolina, they went 10 years without the playoffs. And I believe as we sit here tonight, they're outside the playoff picture. So it just, again, it just shows you the competition is incredible with the salary cap now. There's the player movement is incredible. You got a lot of teams. I don't know if how many great teams you have right now, Mark, but there are quite a few competitive teams. So it just makes it extremely difficult. Okay, and that will do it for episode number 16 of Octopulse. Our next podcast will be next week during the road trip, which takes Ted to Buffalo and New Jersey, as well as Boston and Pittsburgh. As always, you can get all your Wings coverage at DetroitNews.com and you can follow Ted on Twitter at TCulfin and check out our Octopulse Facebook page with lots of additional coverage, the Grand Rapids report on how some of the prospects are doing down on the farm. There's Ted's videos, our photo galleries, 
also coverage on Instagram and Instagram stories as well. So we'll talk to you uh, next week, Ted. See you then, Mark.